0: So, as I said, we're in our, our family series this week. Uh, we're in week two. It's a six-part series. And um, so we're going to be going on that. And, and this week, we, we're going to be looking at, at marriages and singles. So passionate marriages and passionate singleness for Jesus. And, and what does that look like and why do we need it? But what we did is we gave you, um, last week we gave out those piece of paper. and put it on the group electronically of a genogram so might sound a bit weird but a genogram is just it's that thing that's up there it's a it's like a pictorial representation of your family tree going backwards and then what you do is on page two of that thing there were some questions that you can ask of your family and then page three there was some there's a key of filling in like different kinds of relationships have there been uh, divorces or strained relationships or enmeshed relationships or um, it's kind of looking at and what you're looking at is you're looking for patterns through your your family history so you can even put in things there's things of like alcohol abuse or miscarriages and all sorts of stuff so it gets quite in depth and it is quite personal and it's quite a it's quite a crack your chest open heart rendering type thing where you it's you, you got to be a little bit vulnerable on those things so um we put that out we want to encourage you to keep on working on those so keep filling them in keep building on them ask family hey how was auntie so and so and you know you might you might run into some family things that you never knew about um, but the point is, and, and the reason that we're doing this is because we understand that when we come into a family relationship, whether that be a new family that you're forming as a husband and wife, or whether it be as in a larger sort of spiritual family in the church, we, we all come with baggage. We all come with, with stuff from our family of origin. So the, the people that we've come from um, have, a, have probably the, the greatest formational influence in our lives, our family of origin, except in a few rare and um, exceptional circumstances, but, but otherwise, our families of origin have a massive, massive impact on us. And so, it's helpful for us to have a look at that and to see what are some of the generational patterns that have been going on. Maybe, they, maybe they're patterns of sin, maybe they're patterns of blessing. Maybe they, like, I come from a long line of entrepreneurs. Like, it's amazing starting a business is easy and running it. It's not for me, but just, you know, that maybe that's your family story. Um, <clears throat> so, I want to encourage you to keep using it, use the tool over the next few weeks. To explore your families of origin. And, and just the the tool, the, the idea with that is also, is not to blame shift. So we're not trying to go, oh, well, I'm like this because of the, the weird uncle that we had in our family who started this thing off. And he let the devil in the door and it's his fault. We're not, we're not trying to blame shift. We're not trying to, um, we don't want to air any dirty laundry. You don't have to hand those things in. There's no like, check and see what you're doing with your family life. There's none of that. So... It's completely up to you what you do with it, but it's just helpful in recognizing patterns and, and understanding that you know the beauty is, is that God wants to set you free from those unhelpful patterns and, and, and sinful patterns in our family life. And, and as we walk out our, our journey with Jesus, as we apprentice to Him or as we're disciples of Him and following Him day in and day out, that our spiritual formation, and that's just what that means is changing our spiritual nature to become more and more like Jesus so that it looks like that in our lives. Um, and, And what we understand is that that thing must then translate into what it looks like in our lives. So we use this as a tool to recognize, to bring change, to be set free so that we can be more like Jesus and so that we live more like Jesus. So this morning, the question really is, is your discipleship to Jesus, your apprenticeship, your spiritual formation, whatever you want to call it, is that having an influence on your marriage and your singleness and your sexuality? So... As I said, spiritual formation is, a, is part of is the ongoing process of our apprenticeship to Jesus. And it's not a static event. It's not a one-sort of thing. Yes, there's a, there, you know, for some, there's a moment where salvation happens and we come to that decision. But then it's a, it's a lifelong process. As Paul says, we are saved, we're being saved, and we will be saved. And so it, there, there isn't like, a, oh, we've made it, I've done, I've arrived, I've got my ticket to heaven, I can sit back and do nothing. If that's the gospel you were sold, I apologize. It's not the full gospel. It's the start, but it must look like something. The gospel and and our, our commitment to Jesus and our apprenticeship to Jesus must look like something. And often the first place that it has to start is at home. And it's the hardest place to start because it's, we'll see now, it's difficult. So... Paul, uh, Pete Scazzaro puts it like this. When, when we look at uh, you know, how important a marriage or, a, or your singleness is and how you are in that, um, Pete Scazzaro says it like this in one of his leadership things. He says, the, the quality of a leader's marriage or singleness is determinative of the quality of their leadership. It's incredible. The quality of your marriage will determine how well you can lead. The quality of, of you living out your singleness and following Jesus will determine how well you can lead others. It's an amazing thing. Because when it's going bad at home, man, it doesn't, doesn't really matter what... That, that carries through into the workplace. You arrive there grumpy because you've been fighting all morning, man, that thing carries through into the workplace. So, just a, just a side note on that, on, on just how important it is. And he goes on to say that both, both married and singles are critical in the church and are needed to advance the kingdom of God. And I want to say that very clearly, that both both married couples and single people are critical in the church and are needed to advance the kingdom of God. You know, I think there's a stigma sometimes, particularly in our world today, of, of unmarried people and singles, and I'll get to that just now, but there's the stigma that you're lesser than and you're not. However you're single, whether that's by choice, by vocation, by divorce, by death, whatever it is, you are just as important as married people and just as critical to the church and to the kingdom for the advancement of Jesus' kingdom. So, how are we, just as, a, as an overlooking on how they're important, married people, so a, a marriage is designed to show the depth of Jesus' commitment to, to his church. Because it is it is a commitment to one person, forsaking all others You love that one person, and that's what Jesus does with his church, forsaking all others, he loves the church in that commitment, to the point where he dies and gives up his life for them. And that is our picture that we live out in marriage, is that we guide to self and we live for the other person. And singles demonstrate the breadth of the love, or the width of the love of Jesus, because they are not bound to a marriage and one person physically on earth, and they are able to give themselves to more people, not in a sexual way, in a way that is, just to be clear, just so that we don't, but in a way that is like they are able to give their time to other people that you can't when you're married and have kids, or even if you're just married. And so they demonstrate the breadth of the love of Jesus. And we need both to, um, we need both that are healthy to form and to make up and to also inform our churches and to build healthy communities. So passionate marriages, let's start there. Passionate marriages for Jesus. What does it look like? What is it? Leon van Dahl had this brilliant quote. He said, marriage is an unconditional commitment to an imperfect person. It's hard, man. Mostly because we think the imperfect person is the other person. <laughs> we immediately go, yep, yep, there you are. Okay. That's right. But it's an unconditional commitment. And it's, it's unconditional in the sense that God's love is unconditional. It's, it's unconditional in that way. And that we're going to love them regardless. And to an imperfect person, somebody who we know very clearly and very well, is not perfect and if you haven't noticed recently there's been a serious attack on marriages and the family unit for a a number of decades actually and these statistics are showing that fewer and fewer people are getting married those who are getting married are getting married later and are staying married for shorter periods of time more people are just cohabiting because you know what it's probably not going to work and so we don't want to go through the legal thing and it's like hard and you know but then we're going to get and so we don't want to go that route and and honestly it's living a lot of people are living like married couples just with, without the commitment so and and divorce is, is again at an all time high it really is over 50% of marriages it, it used to be around 50 it's now it's now a fair bit over 50% of marriages end in divorce or separation and unfortunately the, the numbers are not too different inside the church so what is marriage firstly we must understand that That marriage is an institution ordained and designed by God. And so there's a lot of argument nowadays about this kind of marriage and that kind of marriage. And is it allowed? Isn't it allowed? Well, You can see those things. You can just go, well, that's not what God designed as marriage originally. So you can call it what you like, but it's just not, not a biblical marriage. So if we look at what something is, you go back to say, hey, who made that thing? And who came up with that? Where does that come from? And how did they see it? You can call it what you like, but it's not what the original intention was for that thing. You can look at a car with four doors and call it a coupe all you like. It's not a coupe, it's a, it's a sedan. No, but that's my coupe. Okay, but it's a sedan. You know what I mean? It's got an open back, it's a bucky. It is what it is. You can call it what you like, but that's what it is. And marriage is the same. And to be Perfectly frank, as far as I can see from the biblical account, right from the beginning from Genesis, and if you've got your Bibles, you can open up to to Genesis chapter 2, we'll read a bit there. Genesis, the first book of the Bible, Genesis, the word literally just means the origins or the beginnings, and it was written by Moses, and so we're in the second chapter, so kind of two or three pages into your Bible. But as far as we can see, and I I can understand from the biblical account, a marriage, a godly designed marriage, is a marriage between one man and one woman only. That's it. That's what a marriage is. Okay? Nice and simple and easy. That's how I see it and I understand it. Genesis chapter 2, verses, we're going to read 20 to 25, and it's from the end of verse 20, um, the last little bit. He says, But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So what has happened is God has said, Hey, he's he's made all creation, he's created Adam and and all the animals and everything, and then he said, Man, it's not good that Adam's alone. Let's see. So he brings all the animals, and Adam names all the animals and the creatures and everything, but And that's where we come to here, where he says, But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be be called woman, for she was taken out of man. And that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife. And they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. So there is the the first picture that we see. And it's not the word marriage is not in there and it's not called that. But that's what it is. It's God going, hey, here's a man and a woman. This is how I'm going to start this thing off. And whether you believe that this is a factual, actual, like what has happened, scientific account, or just a story about how God began it, this is how God chose to reveal how things were meant to be for humanity from the beginning. That's the point of this, is that this is how, right from the beginning, God intended it. And this is before the fall. So this is before sin entered the world. Yeah, God didn't say, okay, well, now you've sinned, you can't live like that, so now I'm going to have to put you together to teach you how to be humble give you a wife that will help you teach to be humble. But God says, this is how it was meant to be from the beginning. This is how I intended it. It's good for man and woman to be together. Now they were naked and they felt no shame. In your marriage, when was the last time you were naked together and felt no shame? People, marriage can be and should be a sign and a wonder for Christ. It can and should be a sign and a wonder for for Christ. People look at ourselves and you know, they, they can, order, people can look at marriage and go, man, there is something there. There's like, there's a love that doesn't make sense in the world. Like, how can you still love that? How can you love that person like that? How can you be so committed? Like, surely it's, what about you? What about yourself? You've got to live for you and do the best for you. You go, well, no, wait, hang on, I can't because I have a wife. And I don't want to because I have a wife. Yo, but don't let your wife run your life. No, that's not what it is. It's a love that is completely unconditional and self-sacrificing. And they go, man, how can you love like that? Well, let me tell you a little story about Jesus. Because that's how He loves me. So I'm then able... So our, love, our marriage can be a sign and a wonder for Christ and for the kingdom. Now, uh, When we come into... Um, it, it, the, the picture is this. It's kind of like a trailer in a movie. You know when you used to have movies and then they would have go to the movies and then they would have, I thought last they went to the movies, but they'd have trailers before the movie. Now you watch Netflix and the trailers don't even start automatically anymore. They've turned that, and, and there's no trailers for other movies, so you don't even get like a chance to see what's coming. You've got to spend seven and a half hours scrolling through Netflix trying to decide what to watch, and then you haven't watched anything. But we used to get trailers for the young people. There used to be like a minute and a half thing where they would, they would do like a short little abstract on the movie, and it would be like, what's happening? And, it was usually the guy with the deep voice, he would over. They knew too much. <laughs> and then <we'd> go, <laughs> it was that thing. And then they would And you would kind of, like, some trailers were a bit much, and they would give away the whole movie. And you're like, yes, I don't have to watch that. To see it. But some trailers, you were like, yo, oh, I've got to go see that movie. And that's what our marriage must be like. Our marriage is like a trailer for the love of Jesus for other people. Is that it's the short little demonstration where people go, man, man, what is that? Like, I, I need to know more. Okay, well. On top of this minute and a half, here's a two and a half hour movie about the love of Christ that we can tell people about. So marriage is more than just being friends with benefits. (laughs) Some folks think it is. They're like, hey, this is just my best friend. Like, we should just take this to the next level. And like we're married. We're like common law, husband and wife. But it's not. And part of the problem with that is that we can get out too easy. But when we come to marriage, and marriage is a fully committed relationship, where we come and we completely give ourselves to another. Completely. Everything. We give everything of ourselves to the other person and the same from them. But when we come into that marriage relationship, we don't come alone. We come with all of this family baggage that comes from behind. And, And we don't know how to do marriage. We just know how our parents did it. And we try and figure it out daily as they've done it. If you've been married for some time, you'll know that the way when you come in, there's a lot of stuff to talk about, and you can't talk about all of it before you get married. Take going on holidays, for instance. So in your family that you come from, who planned the holidays, like your family holidays, if you took them? Was it your mom or your dad? So let's say, this isn't how cursed I work, but let's just say for me, in our family, let's say it was my mom that planned the holidays And so I get married to Kirst. and in Kirst's family, it was her dad that planned the family holidays. So we come together, I'm expecting she will plan the holidays, and she's expecting I will. And so we go three, four years in, and we haven't had a family holiday, and I'm getting angry because she doesn't want to go on holiday. And she's getting cross because I'm being lazy and not booking any family holidays. And we come, and we try to do marriage, but we've got all this family of origin stuff. And, And so simple little things like that, just on how we've seen it done, in the families that we come from affect how we live out our marriages and, and and so and this can this translates into finances, sex, children, parenting, who fills up the car with petrol, all of those fun things. They need a bigger light on the
1: dashboard.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it heads up and so we come with all this baggage and we bring it in but but fortunately there is some guidance in Scripture. As to how we should live and, and Ephesians 5 is probably probably one of the most comprehensive theologies on, on how to do family, but there's a few of them the main ones Ephesians five Colossians three and, and, and in one Peter where, and they're called the household codes so and it was it was really the Holy Spirit is Paul and Peter inspiring Paul and Peter to write about how the family unit should look, how the household should look a godly household, what those look like and if, so if you've got your Bibles, you can turn over to Ephesians chapter 5. But, and what Paul gets to in, in how the marriage should look, Ephesians 5.32. Um, well, he starts off in 5.20. Unfortunately, if you're in a your Bible and you've got an NIV, um, unfortunately they, they put breaks in um, the original text. You know, in the original text there were no chapters and there were no like spaces and paragraph headings and things. Those have been put in afterwards. To help us find stuff because we can't memorize whole books we got lazy by about the 13th century they stopped trying to ma- ma- memorize whole things and so it's to help us be able to reference things but so when you see a break in the scripture between like take for instance ephesians 5 they'll often put a break between ephesians 5 um where is it i think it's between 20 and 21 and that break is not actually there in the original text the headings again they're trying to help it's between 21 and 22. So verse 21 reads like this. Or let, uh, verse 20 ends off the previous section. And says, Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 21 of Ephesians chapter 5. Submit to one another out of reference for Christ. And then most Bibles break it and they put a heading there. Either household codes or wives, uh, wives and husbands or, or whatever it is. Families. And then it goes in. So we have this mental thing where we think, man, that verse is separate. From what's going on but in the original text there wasn't that separation and then we go on and we go right wives submit to her husbands right that's how it must be but we've missed that verse beforehand which says submit to one another out of reverence for christ but we, you know it's a hard one that one so we'll just tell the wives to submit but then how does that look like how do we both submit the only way we have a problem with that is, is, a, is a wrong understanding of submission. We have a worldly understanding of submission where we think that, that one must be in control for the other to be in submission. But godly submission happens within the Trinity and yet they are all, all three. Father, Son and Holy Spirit are completely equal and yet Jesus does what the Father tells him to do and Jesus sends the Spirit to us. He is called the Spirit. And so there is a submission in that but yet it is, they are Three and one in His God, and so how does that look for us in a marriage? It's the same thing. There is a submission, but an equality that happens, and so we're able to submit what we want, our selfish desires, for the other, for the marriage. So marriage is a sign and wonder for Christ. Marriage points to our ultimate meaning in life, and that is to be united with Jesus. Ephesians 5:32, a bit further down, it's the second last verse in that chapter. It says. Paul talking about marriage and husbands and wives and then he finishes it off like this he says this is a profound mystery marriage Paul was single eh? just so that's why he's like this is a profound mystery this thing but I'm talking about Christ and the church he's just been telling husbands and wives how to relate to each other and he says this is a profound mystery I'm talking about Christ and the church and what he's saying is that our marriages point to the ultimate reality of life is that we are going to be united with Christ and the imagery used over and over again particularly in the book of Revelations at the end is that Christ is, he is the here's the bridegroom and the church is his bride that he is welcoming in and that he is going to go to fetch that's us the church has a picture of a bride people can look at us and see what that will be like we are a walking talking picture of what God's love will be like for people. So, how to get a marriage right. Are you listening? You got your pens out? Taking notes. notes. Make Jesus your first priority. The most comforting thing and securing thing you can do for your wife or your husband is tell them you are first loser. You are second place. Jesus is first in my life. Joe Peter puts it like this. He says, your relationship with your wife or husband and children cannot ever be better than your relationship with God. The closer and deeper your relationship is with God, the closer and deeper your relationship will be with your spouse and your children. So if you came today hoping for marriage tips, you're not going to get it today. Except for that one in the sense of how do we communicate? How do we handle God? I'm not going to give you that. We're going to run a marriage course next year and we'll have date nights and it'll be amazing and you can come along to those. But for today, I want to encourage you to invest in your marriage by spending time with Jesus. Marriage, if we are married, must be our first ambition, must be our first thing of importance on this earth. It must be our first relationship of importance on this earth. But in order to do that right, We must have the foundation of a strong relationship with Jesus in place. What we give to our spouse will be out of the overflow of that primary relationship with Jesus. And then what we give to others beyond that should be out of the overflow of our marriage. Going back to what we said in the beginning. When we invest in in marriage, you know, sometimes what happens is, is when you're newly married, and you guys are related, is that there's lots of passion still and you're still excited and you got lots of grace for your spouse and you've got lots of like you when in the beginning when your spouse is late like let's say you've agreed to meet somewhere and they're late you're like yes I wonder if something's bad happened to them I wonder if they're okay like, like, should I phone like can they are they're right gee I hope nothing bad happened to them maybe they're 10 20 years down the road and they're late and you're like flipping again I'm leaving I'm not waiting like I'm done can you say that? No, I shouldn't say it. Sorry. Safety so, so alert. Apologies. I'm now angry. I'm tired of waiting. But you want to kill them. You're like, man, you're, you're thinking like, yes, this is enough now. It's amazing. And all that's changed is the passion in your heart towards them. That's the only thing that's changed. And so I want to encourage you to invest in your marriage. To grow your marriage. So here's how you can do it. I'm going to give you some tips. I was kidding when I said I'm not going to give you anything. But here's how you can do it. And how you can do it together is by also investing in your relationship with Jesus together. So simple things. Read the Word together. The Bible. Pick a daily devotional. Get a My utmost for His Highest. Get a daily bread. Get a, a, a plan on your Bible app. Whatever it is make some time and sit down together to read the word if it's one verse or five chapters whatever it is spend time together and read the word together not just read the word that's helpful that's great you need that but read the word together the second thing is pray pray together bless one another and there is nothing like hearing your spouse praying lord jesus please bless dave there's nothing like that where you can hear because that is like man Sometimes all the words you hear are bad and not negative and are like you always, you always, you keep on. But it's nice to sometimes hear the words and, Jesus, please bless Vicky. Whatever it might be, in those words, however it happens. So pray for one another and bless one another. By the way, husbands, I've got an interesting verse for you. One, don't turn there, but you can turn there later. But 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 7. This is the the other, the third household code. It says Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives. That's a good, That's a. I mean, that's good marriage advice. Live with your wives. Treat them. Peter wasn't above the obvious. Eh? Treat them with respect as the physically weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. How? Men, if you feel like your prayers are being hindered, how are you treating your wife? I mean, Peter's clear there. If you treat your wife poorly, your prayers are going to be hindered. Man, that's... Don't often read... Don't often get sermons on that one. But anyway, so that was a side note. So read the Word together. Pray together. Pray for your kids. Hey, if you don't have kids yet, pray for the kids you're going to have. Start laying a, a prayer foundation for the kids that you want to have one day. Seriously, if you, if you are married and you, maybe you don't have kids, pray for other people's kids. Pray for kids in the church. Pray for schools in the area. Pray for the kids. There's a, a massive need for that and and then lastly uh, the fourth thing is demonstrate your love man it's one thing to say i love you it's another thing to show it demonstrate your love to your spouse you can do that by making love you can do it by acts of kindness words of affirmation give them gifts and honor one another in in public the surefire ways to destroy your marriage three things quickly Coming on the back of that is to dishonor your spouse in front of or to other people. There's a beautiful saying, it says words create worlds. Words create worlds. In other words, what we keep saying eventually becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy and it ends up becoming the world that we live in. And if you keep saying to everyone, yes, you know my spouse, is she really a pain in the butt bro? Like She a difficult bro. You're gonna go home with that attitude. You're gonna go home with that on your, on your heart. And so when we, when we are around others, do not dishonor your spouse. Even if you are fighting, even if you are disagreeing, even if he is always belligerent and stubborn, do not dishonor your spouse. Do not speak poorly to one another or about one another to others. Do not dishonor your spouse by withholding in order to spite them, withholding gifts, withholding time, withholding physical affection, whatever it might be, do not dishonor your spouse by withholding from them to spite them because you think they've done something wrong. The second thing, so that's dishonor, the second thing, surefire way to destroy your marriage, is neglect. Fail to maintain a relationship with Jesus. If you neglect that, you're going to struggle in your marriage. Another way we can neglect is you don't put any effort in. You expect it just to carry on like, you are so, like earlier, I just want to live off the interest now. I I don't want to contribute anymore. I just want (laughs) to, Like, the compound interest should be enough by now, and I just want to live off that. Like, I, was, I bought lots of gifts early on, and so I don't have to buy so many anymore. But we expect it to carry on. The third, the third thing in neglect is you don't follow the, the biblically laid-out pattern for a marriage. So you neglect what you know to be true because you think you have a better idea. Even if you don't understand it and you don't necessarily think, man, that is the best way, I want to challenge you to not neglect the biblical authority of what God has put down for your marriages. To live those out in a way that says, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to choose to believe and put this into practice and see what happens. I want to challenge you to do that. And the third way, probably the most often done way um, to destroy a marriage is to put others first. To put other people before your spouse. The only person you can put before your spouse is Jesus. But outside of that is putting others first. And the others that come first are good things. They're not always bad things. Sometimes it's your kids. Sometimes it's your family. Maybe your parents or your extended family, in-laws. Sometimes it's friends. Perhaps the other things you're putting first are, for me, a danger is to put church and ministry in front of our spouse. And if that's what you are, you know, if you serve in the church, we can often sometimes put those things the church. And and it seems like a real good thing. We must. You know, we're serving Jesus. but your first church is your wife and kids. If you're a small group leader or whatever it is, deacon or elder, whatever it is, your first and every single one of us, never put church and ministry before your spouse. Perhaps you're putting your career or your money before your spouse. Or perhaps, like Peter Pan, you're putting your play and your hobbies before your spouse. You've never grown up and you're still with the wild boys and you want to just have fun all the time. And you've got to sometimes prioritize your spouse. So, marriage course coming up next year. We'll go into some of the nitty gritties of, of how, to, how to do marriage properly. But that's enough for today. So our marriage should be and can be a picture, a prophetic picture to the world of the love of Jesus because of the depth of the commitment we have of that unconditional love to an imperfect person. Passionate singleness. So as we said, singles should not be seen as lesser than. Singles get to show the breadth of the love of Jesus. And, you know, interestingly, in the early church... It was the singles who were at the front and serving and the married couples were at the back because they were busy being married and having kids and stuff and the singles were able to devote themselves to a lot of time it was only even as late as the Reformation in the 1500s that it then became all about the family and the marriage and the married could then serve on church leadership interestingly so there's been a, a shift in that recently so don't think that singles are seen as lesser than but key point for this is that even in your singleness is to be intentional about your singleness to jesus be intentional about a singleness and being single at the moment that is passionate for jesus now in the bible we see kind of two kinds of singles we see vocational and dedicated celibates so celibate is someone who's not having sex so celibacy is to not have sex does it make sense so if we've got a, a vocational celibate or a dedicated celibate, single celibate, whatever it is. So a vocational celibate is somebody who has, feels that that is a, a calling from Jesus to remain single for the rest of their lives. So we most often see this, it was early on in the monastic orders with the monks in the desert. And nowadays you most often see it in some of the traditional churches, like the Roman Catholic Church, where the priests are unmarried and they're singles and they're singles for life. Okay, so there's some people who, for them, that is their calling. In the Bible, Paul was like that. Jesus was like that. So there are many and there are others in there as well. But there's, <laughs> honestly, there's very, very few people who, who, who feel and who have that particular calling to remain single for their whole lives for Jesus. Um, and it is, it is a divine grace. It is a, it is a grace gift from God, a special gift of service to the world to remain like that. And then there are dedicated celibates or, or people who are singles, that are choosing to honor God with their body. So they are saying, hey man, maybe, and, and maybe those singles would like to get married, but you're not married yet, or, or maybe you, you were married and you're divorced and you're, you're open to getting married or getting into a relationship again, however it is. Um, but there are, there are people who are saying, man, I want to honor Jesus with both, I want to honor both Jesus and my future potential spouse with my body. And so I'm not gonna sleep around I'm not gonna I'm gonna be a dedicated celibate until such time as I'm married so and that that for me is is just as equally for both of those things but is there are it's incredibly difficult to be those things it is there is a tremendous challenge in our society nowadays to remain as either one of those either for young people or if you're second marriage third whatever it is there's incredible pressure to not remain celibate you know when you buy a car you should test driving before you buy (laughs) it honestly man you've you just got to how will you know if you're compatible if you don't try beforehand you say well i'll know because there's a ring on my finger that's how i'll know we're compatible because there's the commitment and so the world puts this incredible pressure on us to, to behave different to what Scripture says and what Scripture teaches and what God says. Man, this is the way that is good for you. Trust me. So we've got to choose to live like that in our singleness. So if you fit into one of these two categories, then a healthy singleness should be your first ambition. Again, your singleness flows out of your relationship with Jesus. So how you are with Jesus will overflow into the rest of your life. It'll overflow into your relationships with others. But a healthy singleness is probably more difficult to maintain than a healthy relationship. Because you don't have the other person to lean on. You don't have the other person who's going to be like, hey, I see you're struggling, what's happening? You can quite easily slip into patterns that are self-destructive and yet you stay in those things because that is your hiding place or, or that is what is comfortable or that's what you've seen in your family. And so for, a, for singles, some pointers that I've learned from other people. <laughs> building a relationship to Jesus within a community of believers. A healthy singleness looks like you're building a relationship to Jesus within a community of believers. So then the church, the small groups, those things become important for the singles. Because it is a place where they are able to give themselves and to be in family. And I want to say to the singles, devote yourself to excellent self-care. Devote yourself to excellent self-care. So in other words, look after yourself. Don't make work your whole life. It's so easy when you're single because you're like, I've got all this time. I need to give it to something else. And you want the natural tendency is to go, man, I'm just going to give it to work. It's the most demanding in our lives if you're single. It's the most demanding thing in your life is work. And, and I want to say to you, that is that is poor self-care if you're going to give yourself everything to that. To singles, cultivate companions for the journey for the long term. And not friends with benefits, again, companions as in friends who are going to walk with you in a godly way and that can speak into your life, that you can be open and honest with, and that you can. Carl doesn't want to be one of those friends he's just I'm tapping, I'm getting a gun he's on call but cultivate companions. So, companions and the questions are things like how do you connect with people as a single because it can be awkward and I want to say to the married and to the families invite the singles into your picnics, fries, whatever it is invite them over, bring them over for dinner it doesn't have to be awkward bring them into the family For the singles, ask the same question. What does my genogram look like? What family baggage am I bringing whenever I come into friend relationships, future love relationships, however it might be? What is the family of origin baggage that I'm bringing? Um, How can you restructure your life to live out those priorities of a healthy singles? And that takes time. Again, it's a journey. You can keep reassessing it. Every months six months year whatever it is how am i doing sit down with someone and go hey how do you see me it's one of the hardest questions you could ask somebody else how do you see me because you probably not going to like the answer but let them speak into your lives on that level and not everybody but have a few close relationships where you can cultivate the, that depth of trust with people lastly practice delight practice delight as a singleness as a single Find something, find things that you enjoy, whether that be art or music or hiking or surfing or whatever it is. Find the delight of God in the world around you. Go watch ballets at the playhouse, whatever it might be. Find the delight of God in those things that you enjoy, in clubs and sports, whatever it is. Singles, you have a, an incredibly important part in the church, and I know I've said this three or four times, but I really cannot stress it enough because in our world, singles are often seen as lesser than, and you're not. You're just as important in the church and key to demonstrating the love of Christ that'll bring transformation in others as a married couple is. Your singleness can be a sign and a wonder for Jesus. Be clear about the single that you are. Are you dedicated or vocational? In other words, are you called to that for the rest of your life, or are you just in a season where you're not in a relationship and be intentional about how you live that out. This, uh, yeah, I, I've repeated myself a lot here. Make sure you're building a life that nourishes your soul for the long term and you can model a healthy singleness for Jesus to others. Man, we desperately need that. Yeah. What does a healthy singleness for Jesus look like? Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 8, after a long spiel about husbands and wives and married and unmarried, he writes, Now to the unmarried and the widows, I say, and Kirst actually read it this morning in the prayer meeting. Now to the unmarried and the widows, who are also unmarried, I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I do. So Paul, they're saying, it's good for singles and unmarried people to remain unmarried. It's not a bad thing. You don't have to keep looking for that spouse or that partner. Singleness is not a curse or a lesser than way of living. It is just a way that is different from marriage. And we've put such massive emphasis on must get married, how old are you getting married? If that's not you, that's not you. God might have called you to something different. And you can live freely in that place. So, <clears throat> in conclusion, we live out our most meaningful relationships in the, in the sight and the view of others. And they can and should be a prophetic picture to the world of the love of God. Unfortunately, we bring with us a lot of that Emotional baggage we bring with us a lot of stuff into that relationship from the past of the way we think that it should be done, the way that our family used to do it. Well, this is how my mom did. It. This is how my dad did. It. But fortunately, we have the power of the Holy Spirit with us and in us to bring about change through the salvation that Jesus paid for on the cross. We get the grace, the the grace. That's grace and mercy mixed. <laughs> You're talking too long, so I'm just going to shorten things up there. It's, it's Greek for grace and mercy. Um, we have the grace and the mercy of God that sets us free from the penalty of sin, and we get that. We love that forgiveness, and we love that we have been set for. But you know that that grace and that mercy that Jesus paid for on the cross also sets us free from the power of sin over our hearts. From the power of generational sin, we get to break those because of the Holy Spirit, because of what God has done. We're able to say, I'm not going to live like that anymore. I'm going to choose from my generation on, it's going to be different. We're not going to have alcoholism or abuse or enmeshed relationships or whatever it might be. You have the power by the Holy Spirit to say no to sin and to break those patterns. They don't have to be repeatedly, uh, repeated endlessly through our families. John Markoma puts it like this. He says, your past has shaped your present. But it does not have to determine your future. So your past has had a massive influence, and we recognize that, and we acknowledge it, and we are appreciative for what what happened in our families and for where we are today. But we also know that that doesn't have to determine our future. God does. God gets a say in what happens in our future. And through our discipleship to Jesus and our apprenticeship to Jesus, we can live different. And you know one of the most terrifying things is that as much as you want to live different, if you are a parent, you've got to know that your kids are going to need help to be set free from some of the stuff you've done with them. Because we are broken and imperfect. And yet God still trusts us to raise the next generation. But we do have the opportunity and the responsibility to do it as right and as best as we know how now. So we have the the power to change in the Holy Spirit, but we must first be willing to recognize those patterns, sin patterns, relational patterns, Um, And to break those repeats, we get to break free of them. Live out of your marriage and out of your singleness in a way that is passionate for the love of Jesus so that it is a sign and a wonder for the world of who Jesus is. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you have come and you have demonstrated what unconditional love looks like. Mm -hmm. You have shown us how to love those who are our enemies. You have shown us how to love those who are far from us. And you've also shown us how to love those who are near to us, how to love those who are our spouses, our family, our children, our husbands, our fathers, our brothers and our sisters. You have shown us how to love them properly. And I pray, God, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would come and break generational patterns in us, I pray that as we use these simple tools that you've given us, that that we that we would recognize and break certain things that are going on in our families and in our lives, Lord. We long for our marriages and our singleness to be a prophetic picture, a sign and a wonder to the world of how much you love us, Lord. I Thank you that you have called us to something that is far, far bigger than we are. You have called us into your story. You have called us into your um, your plan for the world, Lord Jesus. And I thank you that even as your word begins with a marriage and at the end in Revelation it ends up and it wraps up with a, with a marriage again of, of, of you, Jesus, welcoming us as your bride. I pray that you would give us boldness to live out our convictions as your disciples in this world, this world that is so... Twisted and broken around relationships at the moment, Lord God. And I pray that whether it is singleness or marriage, that you would help us to live that out in a healthy and passionate way. We pray these things by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.